listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel, on this February the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Friday, February the 14th, well, at least it's not February the 13th, but the fact of the matter is, outside, it's 13 degrees when we came into the studio, so it's nice and warm in here. And, of course, today's a special day. It's Valentine's Day, and so I made a point. They have free candy up here at the counter, so I took one for my wife, Louise, to give to her for Valentine's Day. But if she's going out to Trader Joe's, as she often does, she should pick up some chocolates for her Valentine's Day wonderful celebration. All right. If you want to talk to me, in St. Louis, 821-0850. Or anywhere in North America, 1-800-730-2727. And we've got some emails that were sent to us. Uh, this one is a particularly interesting one. She uh, begins, Dear Pastor Baker, after listening to your Law and Gospel program, I feel compelled to share with you a morning prayer that has had a profound effect on me, reminding me of my total depravity before God and my utter dependence on Him for all physical and spiritual blessings. She calls it a morning prayer for humility, and... I want to share it with you. Here it is. Oh God, early in the morning I cry to you. Help me to pray and concentrate my thoughts on you. I humbly acknowledge that I am entitled to nothing from you. For all that I am, all that I have, and all that I am enabled to do are undeserved blessings from you. Help me to use those blessings to give glory to you and serve other people. I confess that I daily sin against you in thought, word, and actions, but by what I do and fail to do. Forgive me, Lord. Restore me to liberty from my sins through the redeeming work of my Savior, Jesus Christ, and enable me so to live now that I might answer before you and all humanity. Lord, whatever this day may bring, enable me to praise your name. Amen. I really like that prayer because it covers so many items. It's a long gospel prayer, uh, confessing that I'm a terrible sinner, but it's also a gospel that all I am, all that I have, all that I am enabled to do are undeserved blessings from you. Kind of reminds me of what we were talking about uh, yesterday about the bondage of the will by Martin Luther, wrote that in 1525 against a Roman Catholic well-known scholar named Erasmus, that Erasmus believed that he could, by his free will, come to God believe in God, and be saved. But Luther pointed out very much what this prayer says. Because it says that all that I have, all that I am enabled to do, 
our undeserved blessings from you. Luther really dealt with that really pretty simply. He simply asked Erasmus, who agreed that there were two parts in becoming saved, namely the will of God, uh, my, my free will, and the will of God in his mercy. And Luther simply asked, well, how much does each contribute to your salvation? And Erasmus thought the free will contributed quite a bit and made a choice to believe in Jesus Christ. Luther pointed out that an unbeliever cannot believe in Jesus Christ, has no free will to do that. He has to be converted, and that conversion uh, takes place only by God's mercy. Really, really a very, very good point. So I appreciate this prayer from one of our listeners. And now we're going to go to the opposite about the ELCA. They actually apologized for putting out a, well, what shall I call it? It's actually a poster. I have a picture of it in front of me. But what they did on their Facebook page is put a kind of a light bulb type thing and said, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And even quoted the verse, 1 John 1, 5. Now, what's wrong with that? God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. One would say, well, that's beautiful, because it's not only from the Bible, but it talks about it during the time of Jesus' early ministry that he was bringing to the Gentiles who were living in darkness, as well as some Jews, uh, the wonderful light of God himself. God is light. I am the light of the world. Well, guess what? They started getting critical comments. The first person wrote this. Please consider the racial implications of what you are saying here. There is no darkness in him? Really? I assume exclusion from God is not your intent, but that is the impact. Please apologize and remove this post. Guess what? In light of another letter, please don't ever pretend to be confused about why we are 97% white. This post tells me so much about how my church is in relationship to my dark skin. Now, I'll tell you this. If they think that that verse, which says, in him there is no darkness at all, refers to black people, that are not in him. Are we referring to black people as dark? The ELCA came out and apologized for putting up that verse. And when they apologized for it, they didn't apologize for referring to black people as dark, as darkness. They apologized because they said the verse gives the impression that black people aren't part of Jesus Christ. This is how radical the ELCA has become. And it's really sad to see something like that.
we have a little bit more that we could say about this, but at this time we want to go to the phone lines. And remember, 8210850 in St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727. And we're going to be going to talk to Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, it was, <laughs> I had been uh, looking at the um, publication Strength for the Day, and they have a quote from Luther on God's love. Um, he's um, looking at First uh, John four seventeen, and this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. And he, um, they have a, um, a reading from him, from, it says A.E. 30 is the reference. Um, but he says that the devil knows the weakness of the flesh, namely that we do not fittingly value the blood of Christ. Therefore, if consciousness of a great sin weighs you down, comfort yourself with this blood of love. Surely the whole world does not grasp the tiniest syllable of the statement that God is love. No human religion can hold its own in the face of the judgment, but it is solely in the blood of Christ that we have confidence on the day of judgment. I thought this. there's more to it, but I I just thought this was really profound, and, and I'd like for you to comment on it. Absolutely. No. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for calling. Yeah, let, let, let me respond to some of that. Um Talk about reading books or manuscripts by certain individuals. I always like reading anything that uh, Dr. James Veltz puts out because when you read his commentaries on Mark, you can't go a page without finding two or three sermons almost on each page because he has insights that very few people have thought about. Martin Luther was definitely an expert at that, in providing insights. As I was saying with Erasmus's bondage of the will, he found all kinds of insights. I'm going to share one with you in a moment. But this verse from 1 John four seventeen: by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, what does that mean? Well, Luther explains it as Cheryl described it. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, faith is everything. And as we recognize how much God loved us by forgiving our sins and declaring us righteous, that makes a huge difference. And so appreciate Anything that you find in Luther, I tell you, there's 54 volumes. I have them all. And there's new ones coming out all the time, Luther's works. I think they're doing 12 more. And some of those are already out. It's just really wonderful listening to them. In fact, one of the things I'm going to be doing is buying CDs. I already have the ones about Luther's Bondage of the Will, but I understand there are also those audible CDs with his lectures and writings on Galatians, Genesis, Romans, 
Those are going to be wonderful to be listening to while I'm driving in the car. So one of the insights I wanted to share with you that Luther dealt with Erasmus is he asked him, what does it mean that God is omnipotent? And what that means is he's almighty. A lot of people think God being almighty, there is nothing that God cannot do. But that's not correct. That's not what almighty means. Because there's lots of things God cannot do. What? How can you say that? Well, he can't sin. Well, okay. He can't send a Christian to hell. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> what are the things God can't do? God binds himself by the promises he makes. So he makes a promise, for example, to Adam and Eve that there's going to be a Messiah coming. God can't undo that promise. So this is why we live by faith, trust in the promises of what's called the gospel, which are often related to the historical events in the Bible. But there is a huge distinction between having trust that the historical events took place, all of which they did, but it saves nobody. The unbelieving Pharisees, they believed the historical events of the Old Testament. They believed there was an Adam and Eve. They believed there was six-day, 24-hour creation. They believed that Israel crossed the Red Sea. They believed that Egyptian soldiers drowned in the Red Sea. But it saved them not at all. Because saving faith isn't believing the history of the Bible, although all of it is true. Saving faith is believing the promises connected to that history. So what does Almighty mean? I had a professor, Dr. Richard Klan, who was just really one of those professors. Every time you went to class, you got insights that were very, very helpful and not that obvious when you're reading the Bible. But he had those insights. And he once asked the class, what does Almighty mean? And then spent 20 minutes negating the answers people were giving. And as I look back, the answers were not correct. But near the end of the class, he says, what does Almighty mean? And he did a very simple thing. He said, what is the word made up of? Well, it's made up even in the English of two words, all and mighty. And then he made the point. Almighty means that there is no might, there is no power, there is no strength except coming from God. God controls all things. And he made the point, or I think... One of the things I often say, you can't even get out of bed in the morning unless God gives you the strength to move your legs and your body because there are people who are paralyzed and they can't do that. God gets the credit. So when it comes to spiritual matters, God doesn't get the credit for your salvation? Of course he does. The One of the four churches I attend, in their bulletin, they often have a little comic each Sunday. 
and it's two sheep. And the one sheep is talking to the other sheep. He says, you mean I do all these good works after I become a Christian, but God gets all the credit? (laughs) This is why a lot of people don't like Christianity, because we give all the credit to God. When you hear that God is almighty, what that simply means is the following, that there is no might, there is no power, there is nothing you do temporally or spiritually that God does not either permit or give you strength to do. Even when you sin, a robber can't rob a bank unless God permits his legs to walk into the bank and then run away. Is God responsible for the robbing of the bank? No. That's where free will is possible in temporal matters, and we often use our free will to sin. That's what was so very good about that prayer. So here, getting back to Elka, they put out a wonderful thing on the basis of 1 John 1, 5, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. And they start getting attacked by these radical individuals who say, you mean there's no black people in God? (laughs) So here's what Elka says. It must have been written by a woman pastor. We have been paying very close attention to the conversation created by this post. Thank you all who have voiced your experience and concerns regarding the language used. The verse shared here comes from last week's lectionary readings. As themes of darkness and light will appear again in lectionary readings later in Lent, we have chosen to leave this post and its discussion here so that it can inspire deeper conversation and reflection as we prepare for the season ahead. We apologize that the language in this post, and just change the word post to Bible, has caused harm. And we recognize that this image can be a painful reminder of the harmful power dynamics, racism, and inequity that exist in this church. It is our responsibility to be intentional in our use of images and language. We are committed to this work, and we are committed to learning from our mistakes. This is how far Alka has gone. They now say it was a mistake to quote the Bible. Because some people think darkness means black people. And, of course, they don't want to give the impression that in Christ, there are no black people. So, talk about a a radical understanding, saying this Bible verse is racial. Who would want to support Elka and worship in a denomination that does that? So, There's a number of uh, people who wrote about this uh, afterwards when they read this. The opposition to this verse, one says, is not simply due to the mere fact that these people are SJWs. 
The SJWs have given themselves over to demons, and it is the demons within them who take the most offense to the verse. The verse says God is light, and there is no spiritual darkness in him at all. The verse serves as a further reminder to demons that they are forever banished from the kingdom. And it's therefore no surprise that the demons are triggered by Elka using this verse. Uh, another one, another uh, letter to the editor, signs his name is George. The Elka's resounding repudi repudiation of Jesus' words in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that, that occurred at their 2019 convention. Is by far the most compelling reason to flee this pretend Christian denomination, which for decades has turned a deaf ear to Jesus' great commission. At the 2019 convention, they offered a universalistic interfaith policy statement that asserts that there are limits of our knowing the way to God the Father. Now, see, that's a, a white lie. Because, of course, there are limits to our knowing uh, the way to God the Father. Why are some chosen and others are not? Th those are limited. But it doesn't mean, as they had up on the stage, that therefore Muslims and Buddhists and people of all religions still have a way of going to God the Father. So a layman offered an amendment saying, we have a clear statement from Jesus, John 14, 6, who is fully God and fully man, we do, we do therefore have a basis to know God's view on religions that do not require faith in Jesus Christ as God's son. So he wanted to amend saying that there was no doubt that the Bible says no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Well, they went to vote on his amendment and the delegates defeated it by 97, over 97% voted to say, we don't want to have this as part of our religion. And Elka, the writer goes on, that's ashamed of Jesus and his gospel, is no safe church home for any Christian. You, you want your children growing up in a church that teaches that that word of the Bible cannot be used because it gives the impression that black people can't be saved. <laughs> Talk about racism. That Elka considers black people to be equivalent to darkness. When it's so clear from the Bible that darkness and light is the distinction between an unbeliever and a believer. So rather than teaching the proper understanding Whoever this Elka person was that put out this statement just doesn't understand Christianity. It reminds me of another statement they had at the end of the Athanasian Creed, where the Athanasian Creed gives the impression that on the day of judgment, God's going to be looking at your works. And the editorial made the point that that, of course, is not Christianity that you're going to be judged on the basis of your works. The problem was 
it was a Bible verse that was being quoted from the scripture that God will take a look at your works as to see whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. And that is so clear from Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats, they both do the same kind of works. Maybe giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, visiting people in prison. But the sheep's works are regarded as salvific. Not that they earn salvation, but they have been saved. Why? Because God looks at motivation. And only the Christian has the proper motivation of trusting and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, we thank Cheryl for calling. We uh, appreciate the prayer that we said. And uh, once more, we've got a Lutheran denomination that is so contrary to God's holy word. I'm Tom Baker. Join with me next Monday as we continue to look at a reading. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.